We'll go ahead and get started just a little bit early, that's okay. So today we're going to go over chapter 4 in Ephesians. I hope we get through the whole thing. I'm not sure we will. If we don't, that's fine. Um, And next week I'm going to go over chapter 5. And then on March 10th I'll go over chapter 6 and we will be done with the book of Ephesians. So I have three more Sundays here to have the pleasure of being with you guys, which I enjoy. And then after that, Jim Power is coming in and he will finish out the rest of the year. And he is going to uh, do his Sunday school class on the life of Jacob. So that should be interesting as well. So uh, that's what Jim's going to concentrate on for the finish out the rest of the year. He will have nine Sunday school classes before we hit the summer schedule. And so that's what his focus will be. I'm going to start us out with prayer today, and we'll go ahead and get started. Dear Lord, we just humble ourselves before you. We ask for your hand of protection and provision and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. And we pray that we would just seek you with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. We would glorify you in doing so. Pray that we would, you would bless our families, you bless our church. Pray that we would lift you up. Praise in your name. Amen. So I'm going to start out by just talking about, um, I don't know exactly how long ago it was. I'm going to say 15, maybe even a few more years than that ago. Maybe it's probably longer than that. There was a, a couple that showed up at our church, and we became very good friends with them. And uh, they came from California. And uh, I'll just tell you, the names are Greg and Beth Shear. Some of you may remember them, S-H-E-A-R-E-R. He has since moved on. He now lives in Pennsylvania. He and his wife, Beth, live in Pennsylvania. They had three girls. He, is, he, he was an extremely intelligent person. He is now a professor at Penn State. And so, but when he moved here from California... I remember meeting him out here in the foyer and just instantly we hit it off as a friendship and our families used to get together. They had three girls about the same age as our kids and I got to know him real well. And like I said, he's just very uh, intriguing, intelligent person. He was a research scientist type person, PhD, and it had to do with like cardiovascular stuff. Stuff is above my, above my pay grade, right? So anyway, we got to know them real well. And then found out his background. And his background was he, he came from Sacramento, and his dad was a pastor. And his dad was a pastor for his entire life. But his dad, I'll use the word hated Kelvin. That might be strong, but it would be pretty darn close. In fact, he wrote a book called Kelvin on the Ropes. He disliked John Kelvin substantially. Greg, his son, my friend, had the same attitudes. And so here we are, we gain friendships with them, and we go to their house, and they come over to our house, whatever, and finally I said one day, I said, uh, Greg, I said, what? Obviously, because he would come and talk and try to, uh, what was it, what, reframe, reframe what Pastor Randy talked about that day from maybe a little bit different perspective or whatever, and we have these interesting conversations, right? I said, Greg, why do you come to E-Free still if there's a certain piece of this, of this overall preaching, doctrine, whatever you want to call it, that doesn't sit with you? And he said these words, I'll never forget it. He said that the unity of the body of believers was more important to him than being right on this particular doctrine. I will never forget that. He emphasized that. He said the unity of the body of believers was more important to him. And we discussed that further, right, and continued to talk about it. Like I said, he was so intellectually stimulating 
it was just it was fun to talk to him. And I'd listen to him, and I'd go back to Pastor Randy, and he'd give me his arguments back and forth. Greg wasn't in any way, shape, or form disgruntled or mean or, or nasty or mal, had any type of malice or whatsoever. He would discuss us like we were talking about, you know, what if we're going to have a peanut butter sandwich or, or something else for lunch. I mean, just very, like, this is how we, this is how I look at it. This is how, anyway. So, but his point was this that this particular piece was not something that he was willing to draw the line and the sand over and say, you can't come across this line. Which intrigued me. Because then it, then it starts to ask me, me to ask the question, as everybody else, and I'm sure every single one of you have thought something along this line, where is that line? In other words, here's the question. Here's the basic fundamental question. Doctrine versus unity which one wins out and how and why and where and that becomes the question because today in chapter four we're going to talk about unity in the body of christ and so in this particular question it really intrigues me as to far what is unity and we're going to get into this i'll refer back to this um Here's the danger. The danger is that unity becomes the all-important goal and we give up doctrine to get along. Where is that balance? Where is that healthy balance of this is what God says, this is what God means, this is what Jesus said, this is what Jesus means, and this is unnegotiable. We see that in the most obvious form today in the area of sexual sins. In other words, we will, in our society, does everything they could to try to force the Christian world to accept alternative views on sexuality. The Bible could not be more clear. Scripture could not be more clear. Two genders... That's it. But that's just, I mean, that's just, that's just one of the sexual sins. So let's talk about uh, chapter 4. We're going to talk about, and our, our author of my book here calls it, Let's Walk Together. He's going to emphasize the unity of the body of believers. So we're going to start with chapter 4, verse 1. And before we start even that, I'll just say this. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's specifically about doctrine. Here is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The last three chapters have more to do with duty. What is our responsibilities as believers, as Christians? And there's that beautiful balance. Almost like like a parent who has what I would call high discipline and high love. You could have low discipline, low love, I don't care. You could have high discipline, low love, that just turns out to be looking like mean, right? We could have every other scenario, but in this case, we have this beautiful balance of the doctrine and our responsibilities. So we'll go ahead and start here in chapter 4. We're going to read the first 16 verses, then we'll come back and kind of dissect that. Unity in the body of Christ. Here it is for chapter 4. I therefore, and put in your back of your mind the word therefore. Plant that in there because we're going to talk about that. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is only one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, 
when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave, gave great gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. There hits it right there. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A lot of meat and potatoes there. We'll go ahead and start. Notice there's going to be two key words here in this uh, first 16 verses, and the first one is called therefore. I just want to emphasize this to the nth degree. Therefore. I, therefore. What does that mean? What is, what is he pointing out when he says, I, therefore? Well, Paul was basing his exhortations here in the first 16 verses primarily okay, to duty, right? But it's on the doctrines taught in the first three chapters. So the first three chapters are laid out. Here is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Here's the doctrine of the gospel. Here's the doctrine of our Lord and Father. Here's the doctrine which you need to pay strict attention to. And once you have done that, therefore, in other words, it's like a pivot, right? It's a, because of this, therefore, your reaction should be this. It's, it's like, I see this, okay, now I need to do this, right? So it basically is saying, uh, you know, Paul is basically saying in, in the Lord's, if you love me, you obey my commands. The Christian life is based on knowledge. It is not based upon this just love each other and we don't need to learn about anything else. It's based upon knowledge. The second word I want to talk about before we get into this is the word beseech. Now, in this verse right here, in the ESV, it says, a prisoner of the Lord, urge. Same thing, beseech, urge. What does that mean? Well, it means that God in his love urges us to live for his glory. It's a prodding, a prompting, a pushing. He urges us to do so as a response. In other words, obey me. The first 16 verses here, again, the whole idea is the unity of believers in Christ, and he's going to urge us to do so because of these things he laid out in the first three chapters. So therefore, and urge. Almost like in Peter, you know, make every effort to work out your salvation. Okay, so if we start looking at this very specifically, the first three verses, we're going to talk about unity. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's just go to the first three. Unity is not uniformity. Okay? Unity is not uniformity. My friend Greg, who I talked about at the beginning of this uh, talk here, would be an example of that, right? Unity is not uniformity. We have spiritual grace within the boundaries. Each part of the body is different from the other parts, yet make one body. Okay? So, 
In other words, we need to have a, a significant level of grace with each other as to achieve this unity. Necessary Christian graces for unity. The author of our book here talks about this, and I believe he has six of them here, yes. Necessary Christian graces. In other words, there's graces within the Christian life that will help us achieve, to help us, to grant us this whole idea of having unity with each other. So, okay, here, here they are, number one. First one is lowliness or humility. Uh, with all humility, okay? Christ first, others second, self last. Philippians. Same author. Chapter 2. Christ's example of humility. He gives a perfect example. Here's what it looks like. And first he lays it out again and, and kind of does a therefore. So th- if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and the rhetorical is, and there is, right? That's what he's basically saying, and there is. Complete my joy. In other words, verses I've seen others say, make my joy complete. I've tried that with my children. Make my joy complete. Do this, please. Complete my joy by being of what? The same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from, and here's how it's achieved, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is extremely difficult for us to do. Our natural flavor in life is not to do that. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have the same mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though it, though, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's the example. Lowliness, humanity, humility. First grace that we all need with generous portions to have unity with believers. Generous portions. Number two, meekness. With all humility and gentleness. I'm going to use the word meekness there. Kind of more or less the same line. Meekness, gentleness would be power under control. Okay? Power under control. Jesus was meek and lowly at heart. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Humility, meekness. He keeps going. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Okay, we're going to use two words there. One is long-suffering. Uh, which means long-tempered, to endure discomfort without fighting back. Patience. Forbearance. That's another verbiage. I'm just kind of, we're just kind of mixing words here that all mean the same thing. Forbearance. Showing patience even if something is owed. Tolerate each other. I don't like the word tolerate because it leads to the word tolerance. We must all be tolerant. Tolerate each other. Well, What does that mean in a more positive spin, so to speak, right? To put up with each other's sins and faults, and I would say without grumbling, inside or outside. Resting in the patience the Spirit gives us. Loneliness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, these are all graces for the uh, unity, endeavor, Okay, so here's one eager to, and verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit endeavor, being eager to maintain or guard the unity of the Spirit, that requires effort and work. To actually, to, as, to make exertions. A lot of you are married. 
Here's what happens when you don't maintain an eagerness to have a healthy marriage. In other words, you put it on the back burner of your mind, right? You're concerned about this, and you're thinking about this, and you're thinking about that, and thinking about business, and what has to go on at work, and then what happens at the house, and then pretty soon, oh, oh, that's right, I live with someone here. What's your name again? And what happens is, in marriage, if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't put an effort, energy, okay, marriage takes effort. To have a healthy marriage takes effort. You cannot coast, you cannot coast, put no effort into it, and have a healthy, vibrant, spirit-filled, God-pleasing marriage. That's not possible, okay? So in here, to endeavor, to be eager to maintain or to guard the unity of the spirit takes your effort and my effort to make sure that within the body of Christ that we have this unity of spirit. In other words, we are for each other. That's what it comes down to. And it takes effort. Last one, peace, uh, in the bond of peace. Okay? Peace just means, and if you look, if you want to really dig into this, James chapter 3, middle of the chapter, going to the first part of chapter 4, talks about the bond of peace. So important. So here's the necessary Christian graces for you and I, for the body of Christ, to have a healthy dose of unity. Lowliness, which same as humility, meekness or gentleness, long-suffering, forbearance, patience, you can be, uh, call it that, endeavor, eager to maintain, and then peace. Okay? Now he goes into verses, the next three verses, uh, verses 4 through 6, basically the grounds for unity. So why, what is the grounding for this? Okay? So we're going to go into that. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, uh, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, here's the grounds for unity. We're just going to kind of go through these things. One body, the body of Christ. Each believer is a member. Uh, we have what we would call a larger body of Christ, a larger uh, Christian community, obviously, right? And then you would have what we call the local one, which would be the church. So one body, the body of Christ, one spirit. We all share the same Holy Spirit. We do not have different versions of it. You don't have, you know, version A and I have version B. We all have the same Holy Spirit in each believer, so therefore we belong to each other. One body, one spirit. One hope of your calling. This is talking about the return of the Lord to take his church to heaven. And we all need to, in unity, be looking forward to that. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, we're talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and will one day come for us. One faith, we don't have time to go into this, but Jude chapter 3 talks about the development, uh, uh, the faith that's delivered unto the saints. Now, one thing about, I'm going to talk about our faith here, and I've talked about my friend Greg at the beginning here, is it may differ, in fact it will differ, in interpretation and church practice. But we all agree on the faith. There becomes the core principle. One baptism. The author of my book here that we have written thinks that that has to do with baptism of the Spirit, not necessarily physical baptism. And one God and Father. Paul emphasizes language. Um, oneness of believers in the family of God, children of the same family, all serving the same Father. So those would be the grounds, okay? And then Paul, Paul here was quite concerned. This is what I want to hit on pretty specifically here. Paul was concerned in all of his writings that Christians not break the unity of the Spirit by agreeing with false doctrine. Our pastors do a really good job of that here, of sticking to doctrine. This is what Scripture says, there is no deviation. 
And this is where the rubber kind of meets the road. It's because and it's, and it's a, it's, 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 there's a tension here. It's almost like a tightrope to a certain degree. But Paul is very concerned that we don't agree, that we don't seek unity by agreeing to false doctrine. So a couple, a couple examples here. Let's just go to Romans 16, uh, verses 17 through 20, and we'll talk about this. Here's, here's Paul, and just notice the language here. It's almost like he's just prodding, like, you've got to do this, right? He says, I appeal to you, brothers. Would you call it groveling or begging? Probably not. But he's just saying, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. In other words, do everything you can to have the spiritual wisdom by seeking, by studying, by listening to what is considered to be false doctrines. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. That's his verb. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. Boom. Right there. But their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. In other words, don't be the naive. Make every effort to see it, to grasp it, to understand it. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and to what is evil. Discernment. Paul saying, I want you to have discernment. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm going to read that one more time. Just to, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. In other words, we need to be in the lookout. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But here's the warning. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Okay? So that's, the, that's our first verse on that. And there's another one here. And I was caught off guard when I looked this up. It said 2 John 6 to 11. I thought, what chapter? There's only one chapter in 2 John. Threw me for a loop. Because it didn't have the chapter number and then two dots and then the verse. You know what I'm saying? So just like, what's going on? Okay, there's only one chapter in 2 John. Short, short one. He was uh, brevity that day. So 2 John, verses 6 through 11. Same concept, okay? Different author. And this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have been heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked words. Warning. Just like our ones in Romans, the second John is here. Big warning. Don't entertain false teaching in any way, shape, or form. Be on the lookout, be on the guard, right? Be on the guard for that. And as love for each other, 
to help each other in that area. Here's a quote from my, my author. The, the local church cannot believe peace at any price. God's wisdom is first pure and then peaceable. James chapter 3, but the wisdom, uh, let me see here, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I'll read that again. But the wisdom from above is first pure, meaning undefiled, meaning no other, like pure gold. If you think about pure gold and you add other stuff to it, it's not pure gold. This is pure gold. But the wisdom from above is first pure. His word is pure. Nothing else. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I'm going to um, go to a piece here that I did not even think about until just now. But it, it struck me as to how much we need to stick to the doctrine of God and not entertain. Revelations, the last chapter, starting with verse 18. This is, uh, this is a warning. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the, the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this book. So here's the point. Don't venture to the left and don't venture to the right. Neither one. There is not truth here or here. There is truth exactly with what God says. First pure, then peaceable. Okay, let's talk a little bit about gifts. My wife loves to give gifts. She is a gift giver. She likes to wrap things up, put them under the Christmas tree, and hope you guess what it is. But that's not necessarily what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about other gifts here. Um, we're going to start here with verses uh, 7 through 11. Chapter 4, again. Okay. Paul says here, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, and saying he ascended, what does it mean that he did, that, but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay, so Jesus' body is no longer here, but here's what he's given to us. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Okay, um, so here's the question then. How much now do we differ? We talked about unity. Let's talk about a variety and individuality within the unity of the Spirit. So a gift is meant for unifying and edifying. That's what it's meant for. A gift is made for unifying and edifying. Here's how the author describes it. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve God and other Christians in such a way that Christ is glorified and that believers are edified. Edified means build each other up. To build each other up. Not to tear down, right? But to build each other up. So we're going to talk to the, today about not so much the like spiritual gifts, but as in here, uh, what, what Jesus gave to us. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Okay, not so much gifts, but people. Now, the first one, apostles... Technically, we don't have apostles today. If you want to take the strict definition of apostle, 
someone who dealt directly with Jesus and met Jesus and knew who he was and one of his underlings. And so that's an apostle, right? So the apostles are obviously the people who uh, associate with Jesus here on earth. Technically, so there's 12 of them, but technically there's none today. Prophets. Most people think about prophets as someone who prophesies and predicts the future. Okay? All kinds of people try to predict the future. This is what's going to happen in the Super Bowl. This is what's going to happen in the stock market. This is what's going to happen to the land prices, blah, 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 right? Until all kinds of predicting goes on. Well, we're not going to talk about that here. This is a more, a, probably a more, um, I'll say, accurate definition. Not necessarily predicting, but proclaiming, okay? So proclaims the word of God. In other words, the purpose here, again, is edification, encouragement, and consultation. So we have apostles, we have, we have prophets, we have evangelists, bearers of the good news. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news, okay? Uh, and then this one here, pastors and teachers, okay? So this one here says shepherds and teachers. You can also use the word pastors and teachers. Pastor equals shepherd, also an elder. What is the purpose? Feed the flock. To feed and to lead the flock. The word of God that nourishes the sheep, right? Um, and we're going to go into one piece of this here. I'll explain it to you. The word of God is the local church's protection and provision. And no amount of entertainment Good fellowship and other religious substitutes can take its place. I'm going to read that again. The word of God is the local church's protection and provision, nourishment, stability, food, feed, lead, and no amount of entertainment and other things. In other words, other things that can happen inside the church, which are just kind of byproducts, right? Entertainment, good fellowship. Is good fellowship bad? No, good fellowship's not bad, right? Or other religious substitutes can take its place. In other words, it's the word of God. That is the core. That is the foundation, okay? And I am going to um, send, uh, let me think here. I'm going to send Randy a nasty email because he stole my absolute verse. Okay, I won't send him a nasty email, but he did steal my verse today. I was going to, I was going to yell, but I didn't. When we talk about feeding, talk about feeding, right? And this is, and this is, in this set of verses, it is so striking. I'll just repeat what Pastor Randy hit on today: Jesus and Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And of course, the three times here, a redemption of when Peter denied Jesus three times in a row. Here he is basically, I'll use the word redeemed of his sin. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Boy, how would you be, like to be asked that by the Messiah? He said to him, yes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then Jesus goes into Simon Peter, what's going to happen with Simon? What's going to happen with Peter? And if you notice the life of Peter, that didn't, I'm not going to say it didn't phase him, but he went full speed ahead, knowing more or less what's coming. But the point here is, is that Jesus clearly laid out, Simon, if you love me, 
you'll feed my sheep. That's what teachers and pastors do. They feed the sheep. That's what you and I can do. We feed the sheep. Encouragement, edification. The word of God. The growth of unity. Now we're going to grow it. Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about, about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from which the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Okay, so we've talked about we've talked about here the unity of the body, the necessary graces that we would have for that. Okay? We've talked about the grounds, right? We've talked about the grounds. Now we're talking about the special equipment that's been given to us, specifically teachers, pastors, evangelists, shepherds, prophets. Now Paul is talking about specifically, okay, now how do you take all those pieces and you make it grow? It grows, okay? So the growth of the unity of the body, Christ-likeness, evidence would be Christ-likeness, stability, can't overemphasize, stay away from false doctrine. The truth is joined with love, and it has cooperation, okay? So I think one of the biggest pieces that I've ever read, or that I think of, I should say, would be in Galatians. So here is Paul talking about um, staying away from false doctrine, right? And if you read the first chapter of Galatians, it's like, it's like a beatdown, more or less. Right? So here's Paul talking to Galatians, and this is why he's emphasizing why it's so important for you to, you and I, his readers, to stick to the doctrine, to do not deviate. Paul, an apostle, not from men, through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the, all the brothers who are with me. Why does he say that? He says that to clarify that his words are from God, not from fellow man. In fact, he's emphasized that several times in Scripture, where he said, when I was converted, Paul, I did not go and associate with the other disciples or apostles right away. I got everything from Jesus himself. So it can't be... So here it is, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's the end of the niceties right there. This is what he says. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting, this has to do with circumcision, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Don't deviate. Again, doctrine. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Again, don't deviate. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Emphasis, exclamation point. Could you put it any heart, <laughs> any more... Uh, any more emphasis than that? As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one who you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man? Again, his reference to specifically he got his word from the Lord himself. Or am I trying to please man? Back to the very beginning 
what I just talked about at the beginning of this talk here of the, of the Sunday school hour about the tension in the, uh, between pleasing man and pleasing God. Or am I just here trying to please man? If I was to, still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's the line down the middle. Right there. For I would have you know, brothers, here's what I talked about, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. No other vein that it came from. It came straight from the artery. For I did not see receive it from any man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ from the main source. For you have heard of my former life of Judaism, or Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Okay, so here is Paul talking very specifically about the adherence to the doctrine that we have in front of us. In other words, scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. Okay? So how does that lead to spiritual unity? You and I need to encourage each other in every way possibly we can to adhere to the truths of scripture even if it can be offensive. That's basically what it comes down to. Okay, so let's march on. We're going to talk a little bit about this. We've got a little bit of time left. And from verses 17 on, we're going to talk about what's called the new life. Um, in my ESV version here, here's the italics. It says right before verse 17, the new, the new life. Our pastor, excuse me, my author of this book says, he calls it take off the grave clothes. In other words, great, uh, you close your grave, no longer here. You're no longer dead spiritually. You are now alive. Take off the grave clothes. We're going to demonstrate a new life. Okay, so now he's going to urge us, urge his readers, to live the new life. In other words, the Bible was written to be obeyed. The hardness of heart enslaves a sinner and cannot see. So the first three verses here is basically me admonition, verses 17 through 19. We'll go ahead and read that instead of starting from the beginning here. Uh, reading the whole thing. We'll just start out piece by piece. 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. How do we get a hard heart? We're born with it. That's how we get a hard heart. We're born with it. It's not hard to have a hard heart. I think about when Jesus was demonstrating to the crowds miracles, raising from the dead, people being healed, all these different miracles that he's performing along with his teachings, and yet the Pharisees say, mm, I'm not taking that. Wow. What did you just see? Wouldn't you like to have been there? Okay. So... Darkness in their understanding, alienated from God because of uh, the ignorance is due to the hardness of their heart. We read, uh, uh, I think it was last Sunday or two Sundays ago, about Romans, the first part of Romans, about God explaining, or Paul explaining, how that happens. Okay, now we're going to go to the, what I call the argument. Okay, verses 20 through 24. This is his argument. But is, that is not the way you learned Christ. Notice he said the word learned, not just known about, but learned. You learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him, that was one of the verses right there when there was some scholars who were basically questioning whether or not Paul was the writer of Ephesians. They say, well, how would he not know about it? That was one of the arguments. We tried to erase that at the, at the very uh, first one we did. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him, and we're taught in him as, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, to be born again. As Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. A newness of life, to take off the old ones. I remember being on the dairy farm, and I would come in from chores at 9 o'clock at night, and you're just a filthy pig. You're just greased with everything possible, dirt, this, whatever. I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. My brother Bob wanted to see how long he could go without taking a shower. It was bad. I think he went two weeks. You go one day in the farm, it's bad enough. Some type of experiment he did. But you come in, right? You come in, no one's around. You take your clothes off. You dump them right there by the washer, and you go in and take a shower. And now you're clean, right? And then you put on a fresh pair of clothes. Wow, you're a new man. (laughs) It's just totally different, right? You look at that pile and say, oh, man, those things need to be washed, right? So the idea is to take off your old clothes, to take off your old self, right? And to basically have renewness, okay? You longer belong to the old corruption of sin, right? You belong to the new creation, okay? Uh, To change clothes is to basically to just get rid of, right? To get rid of, and Paul talks many times about that, to get rid of your earthly nature. Ephesians 4.23, conversion is a crisis that basically leads to a process. A crisis that leads to a process. In other words, called sanctification. Okay? All right, we're going to go on to the next one. I'll just call it my last one here. It's called application. How do we apply this then? Verses uh, 25 through 32, starting in, it's still in chapter 4. Um, okay, here is another therefore. Second one, today, not one but two, you get two therefores today. Therefore, in other words, he's laying out the case, and so therefore do this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We are members of one another. One of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil that the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, do an honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building each other up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's a great one. This is just like bold letters. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander, be put away from you. Take off those old clothes. Along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That is meat and potatoes right there. And here, here, Paul dares to name the sins. Verse 1, lying. Satan is a, is a, is a liar, as John uh, 8.44 talked about. But he wants us to think that God is a liar, as in Genesis 3.1. Oh, Eve, that's okay. God didn't really say that. He didn't mean that. He's lying to you. Why would we not lie to each other? Why would we be honest with each other? We belong to each other. That's why. And it's obedience. Truth and love. Now here's a good one. Verses 26 and 27. Anger. Anger is like a fire. Anger is like a fire. I've told, many, told you many times, I love cooking in my Weber kettle. And I put charcoal and wood in there, and it gets nice and hot, and you watch those flames come. You just feel like a caveman. Throw some meat on there. Someday I'm just going to make a roadkill or something. I'm not sure, but <laughs> anger, right? So it's like a fire, but smoldering anger, smoldering anger is like malice. You keep it underneath. You're ready to pounce, but you don't. It's smoldering. It's like malice. And Abraham Lincoln, in his famous speech, he said, in, in malice towards none, no smoldering anger, 
If it bursts forth, it becomes wrath. And here is a great one. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do you ever wonder why that is? You can't let it fester. Be quick to reconcile. Be extremely quick to reconcile. I will say, on occasion, when my wife and I get in an argument, yes, that has happened, that I am more eager generally to reconcile. I want to reconcile. I want to fix damage that's been done through some type of anger. Do not let the sun go down. In other words, don't let Satan let it fester and grab and suck you down. Proverbs Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Anger, there can be righteous anger. Anger is an ugly, ugly sin. Verse 28, stealing. We're not talking about stealing second base. My coach said, you know, here, 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 here. That means steal second base, right? We're not talking about stealing that. We're talking about one of the commandments. Do not steal. In fact, he gives in here, in verse 28, Something above and beyond just the fact that you shouldn't take someone else's stuff. In other words, he almost talks about private ownership here. They own that, you don't get to have it. A, don't covet it. B, don't steal it. Uh, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. And here's a second higher calling or reason. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That That lifts human labor to a higher level. Those who are thinking about retiring. Uh, In other words, labor for good. Labor for good. Lifts human labor to a next higher level, to give to those who are in need. Really, the command here is to work hard. In other words, to do do not be lazy, as is glorifying to to God. Here's a great one here, uh, verse 29 uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as good for building each other up as fits to the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Don't be a negative Nelly. Okay? Corrupt speech. The mouth and the heart are connected. Corrupt speech in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 7 is talking about like rotten fruit. Okay? Speech we need that is full of grace and seasoned with salt. And the last one we're going to talk about here in verses 30 through 32 is bitterness. Okay? So, and do not, give, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. That is the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And here it, it gives further clarification of who the, whom you are sealed, like who the Holy Spirit is. For the day of redemption, it's called a guarantee, a deposit of the future. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander, that covers a lot, be put away from you along with, with malice. Bitterness I would describe as settled hostility that positions the whole inner man. To cling to bitterness. We've all done it. Envy, jealousy, bitterness. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Son of God. It grieves the Father. The opposite of bitterness would be the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, Patience. I'm, going to get, I'm not going to get them all. There's nine of them in Galatians chapter 5, I think, believe it is. Settled hostility that positions the whole inner man. In other words, he is urging us here to get rid of that. 
as the Holy Spirit will prompt us to get rid of let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Why does he have to list those? Do you know why he lists those? Is because we come by them so easily and we all have those. And so he's not, he's not saying, well, only you have this problem or only you have this problem. He's, he's urging his believers, his fo- the people who are born again, who are followers of Jesus, who still have sin, everyone has sin, to get rid of these, to put off the old self and to put on the new. And finally he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as, Christ, as God and Christ forgave you. That is his final call towards unity of the body of believers, of edification and building each other We'll stop right there and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your words. They are so precious, so useful for correcting, for training in righteousness. It is a gift from you, along with your Son, along with the Holy Spirit, as a deposit in our lives to look forward to a day when we can glorify you day by day, with no pain, with no sorrow, with no tears. We pray that we would have a good week this week, that we would honor you and ask for forgiveness in your hand of mercy and kindness, and we pray that we would show that to others and build up the unity of the body. Praise things in your name. Amen. Okay, see you next week.